Thank you, Jason. We're going to go into our time of uh, the scripture reading today, which comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And we're going to be reading that in the ESV. So we encourage you to uh, find that if you have your own Bible or Bible app handy. We will also project it up here. So again, it's Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the the, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are continuing in our sermon series on building a firm foundation, and we've been talking about the kingdom. This is where we've been going. This is Jesus's central message. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about the idea that the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And, uh, you know, you, you might be wondering what that means. Uh, well, I think that actually has great implications for us, because it might actually explain why a lot of us actually don't want the kingdom. I mean, maybe we'll take the kingdom after we die, but here on earth, it doesn't really seem like it's something we want. You know, and and so uh, when you think about actually living this life for God, actually pursuing the kingdom above all other things, as as it says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. I don't really see that oftentimes. I think a lot of us, we're seeking many things. We're chasing many things. But how many of us can really say that we're seeking the kingdom first and foremost? I mean, friends, we are all friends here. We can be honest. No one's here to judge you. These kinds of messages, I think, are the kinds of messages that we're supposed to agree with. You know, you're supposed to say, yes, the kingdom is better than money, than anything else. You know, but if we're being really honest, even Christians, I don't think, really believe that. I, I think many Christians aren't actually seeking the kingdom above all things. You know, and this kingdom that we said, it's an upside-down kingdom. Last week, uh, our intern, uh, Young Lee, was talking about, you know, one of the aspects of this upside-down kingdom, that Jesus came to serve rather than to be served, that, that he washed his disciples' feet, this very, very humble act, and, you know, that's just one sort of, uh, uh, you know, way uh, that we can see the upside-down kingdom. You know, we're not seeking uh, status and, and uh, uh, prestige, but we're seeking to be lowly and humble. I mean, friends, let's be honest. I mean, how many even, like, pastors, you know? I- I'm kind of calling out myself and, you know, pastors like me. How many of us want that upside-down kingdom? Are we seeking the smallest, humblest churches? 
Are we seeking to serve in the poorest areas? Right? Come on, let's be honest. Is this what we really want? And brothers and sisters, maybe it is because the kingdom is the opposite of what we normally want on this earth. So it makes me think of this Seinfeld episode. I don't know if you guys are into Seinfeld. It's a few years old now, but uh, there's this really funny episode uh, where one of the, the main characters, George Costanza, who's this middle-aged guy, and you know, I hope this doesn't sound too mean. He's a fictional character, so don't worry. His feelings won't be hurt. But he's kind of like played and just portrayed like kind of like a loser. You know, he's this uh, balding, you know, middle-aged guy, and his career's not going anywhere. And actually, in this episode, he doesn't have a job. And he's uh, staring out at a pier at the beginning of the episode and just kind of like evaluating his life and reflecting on where did it all go wrong? And so he goes to the diner where, where he always meets with his friends, and he's just talking about how his life is the opposite of what he wants it to be. Everything has turned out the opposite. And so... Um, Jerry uh, challenges uh, George to do the opposite of what he normally does. And so he says this thing where he says, if every instinct you have is wrong, right? Like, so you thought that, like, oh, hey, I should do this, and then something good will happen. He's like, if that's been wrong, if it's gotten you the opposite of what you want, then the opposite would have to be right. And so in the whole episode, George ends up doing the opposite of whatever instinct, like, comes you know, of whatever he feels like doing, he'll just say the complete opposite, do the complete opposite. And so while they're in the diner, there's this attractive woman uh, that's kind of like looking at him. And so, you know, he's like, oh, I, I can't approach her. And, and, you know, Jerry's like, hey, do the opposite. And so he does. And he goes up to her and he says the opposite of what he wants to say. He goes up to her and he says, my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. And she looks at him and goes, Hi. <laughs> and so the whole episode, right, like, you know, when, when he normally wouldn't, you know, uh, uh, sort of like confront people, like he's in a movie theater and people are talking really loudly, he turns around and he reprimands them. And, you know, he does all of these things, the opposite, and he ends up getting a job with the Yankees, he ends up dating this beautiful woman, and he ends up being able to move out of his parents' <laughs> house. And, you know, it's, it's funny, right? But, you know, I think about that sometimes, that we have these ways of looking at the world, right? We have these instincts, and we're so sure they're right. But are they actually giving us what we think we want? Do we even know what we want, you know? Because I think there's, uh, you know, maybe it's not as extreme as George Costanza, but I think there's a lot of people who are living their lives based on the instincts and, you know, they're looking at certain things and they're like, oh, this is going to be good. And it doesn't give them what they want. And so, brothers and sisters, even the things we want, maybe it's not actually going to give you what you think. It's not going to deliver, you know? And so, brothers and sisters, you know, going back to the idea of the kingdom, the fact that so few of us want it maybe shows us because it's the opposite of what we want, but maybe the opposite of what we want is actually what we truly need and what is actually truly good. So uh, kind of like playing off that theme, uh, well, you know, this is Jesus's words 
in the Gospels, in the Sermon on the Mount, and it, it predates Seinfeld, right? And, and I, I think that there's so much here that's really good. Why don't we take a look? Uh, this is Matthew 6, 19 through 24. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, you might remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the kingdom of the heavens. The heavens is plural, as it often appears when we talk about the kingdom of the heavens. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in the heavens, right? Treasures in the kingdom of God. Now, this is what most people think that this passage means. We look at this, and we fill in the blanks when we hear treasures in heaven, and we're like, okay, this is the treasures of eternal life after we die, right? And so it's kind of saying, we think, that we shouldn't just live for the earthly treasure that's going to be here today, gone tomorrow, right? Like, after you die, you can't take it with you. That's the way that this passage is most commonly interpreted. You can't take it with you. There's much truth to that, right? I mean, that's a fantastic message, you know? The fact that, yes, you are going to be dead much longer than you're going to be alive, right? You know, and uh, if there is an eternity after this, and that's a big if for a lot of people, um, but if that is true, if you posit that to be true, that there is an eternity, uh, that it doesn't make sense for us to live just for what we have here. The problem with this is that many of us are not convinced of that, right? And so there's a very convenient loophole for us, is that we look at this and we're like, okay, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, right? If that, if that uh, uh, there is an eternity, right? But what if there isn't an eternity, right? I shouldn't say loophole as it is a way for us to just not even listen to this passage. If you don't believe that there is an eternity, you're not going to be convinced to live for something different, right? But what if this passage, in the same way that we are talking about the kingdom of the heavens, that it is, I want to be clear about this, the kingdom of God has no end. It definitely is talking about eternity, right? It's talking about what happens after you die. But Jesus' message is that is a kingdom you don't have to wait for after you die. You can live it. You can experience it right now. And, And what this is saying is that this is a treasure way better, way better than the treasures of this earth. The treasures of this earth all fade. Now, you can talk about the, the moth and rust destroying it because it will eventually go away. But the thing is, like, even the, the, the qualities of the treasures of this earth don't last. I think we all know this, right? The pleasure you get from owning something or getting something new, the novelty, it wears off, right? We've talked about this before, uh, the, this idea of the hedonic treadmill. If you guys aren't familiar with that, it's the idea that all pleasure fades, It's like a treadmill. You get the pleasure, and then you're like, yay! And then after a while, it wears off. Every single one. You know this. You're not still savoring the candy bar you had last week. You're not still tasting it, right? You need a new candy bar, right? Whatever thing you saw, whatever movie that you thought was so awesome, you're not still experiencing that awesomeness, not to the same effect. It fades, right? And so we always have to seek new pleasure. 
Is there something that's actually more lasting, that's actually better? And, brothers and sisters, we have to also deal with the fact that oftentimes the treasures of this earth are supremely disappointing. You know, we we look at this stuff and we're like, yeah, this is it. Have you ever gotten to the mountaintop? Have you ever achieved your goals and gotten there and been like, hey, if I'm being really honest, it's not that great. We don't really talk like this in this world because everybody's chasing that carrot. Everybody is believing this, 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 this narrative that if you get this thing, you will be happy. This is what you want. This is what you're sacrificing for. Right? This is what you're going to school for. This is what you're earning all this money for. This great vacation or this great life or this great house, whatever it is. And brothers and sisters, if this is your treasure, this is the end goal, this is the end game, this is all there is, you're going to be really disappointed. It's not that those things are bad in and of themselves. It's that they can't be your treasure because they don't last. Right? One of the things I tell people sometimes who are kind of struggling with leaving, living the Christian life is, um, you know, like, like they kind of believe this, this, this lie. I mean, I think it's a lie that living in the world is better. You know, you're able to have more fun and it's going to be a more fulfilling life and all these things. And, you know, sometimes I tell people, <laughs> maybe this seems like kind of funny advice. I'm like, okay, then go ahead. Go ahead and live your life, right, in the way that you're living it. But keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open and ask the question, is this thing that I am living for, is it actually worth it? Because brothers and sisters, this is the thing. Everything that I said maybe on some level makes sense to you. And for Christians, we hear it all the time, and even Christians aren't convinced, right? Even Christians still are living for money and fame, and esteem, and status, and all the security that this world can offer, right? We still do it too. And so there's something else going on here, right? And this is the part of the passage that oftentimes uh, you don't really hear it preached on that much. People just kind of gloss over it because we don't quite understand it, right? It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's not the part. We preach on that part a lot. But the next couple verses where it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So friends, most of the time when you hear this passage, when you hear people talking about treasures in the kingdom of the heavens, what we are telling people is that, that you need to look at the treasure and see how good it is. But what it's saying here, what Jesus is saying, is that maybe the problem is not that you're not looking at the treasure. The problem is that your eyes are bad. You can't actually see the treasure for what it is, right? So, you know, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness, right? The eye is the lamp of the body. It illuminates everything, right? And so maybe you're looking at things and you see it darkly. You see it dimly. You look at something that is actually, uh, it's actually 
uh, garbage, <laughs> you know, but you look at it and, and you, your eyes aren't good. And so it's like the person who looks at something and something is actually really ugly or really, you know, like, like there's, there's a painting and it's like a terrible painting. But because your eyes are bad, you're looking at it as blurry and you're like, oh, that's so awesome. That's so beautiful. Right. And we're all looking at this thing and we all think it's awesome because we all have bad eyes. Right. Maybe we're like George Costanza. You know, we we have these instincts and we have these things that we look at the life and we're like, oh, it's going to be so good. But maybe our instincts are bad. Maybe everything that we think that we look at and we think it's treasure, it actually isn't. Maybe we just need the eyes to see. It makes me think of this uh, movie, a classic movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, it's got these, these very strong religious overtones because in, uh, the, the Last Crusade is about trying to find what is called the Holy Grail. It's supposed to be the cup that Jesus drank out of during the Last Supper. And in, in you know, Indiana Jones, in this fictional movie world, it's supposed to uh, give you a, a immortality. You know, you'll have eternal life and you'll never die if you drink from this cup. And so um, they go to this treasure trove where um, there's all of these chalices, all of these cups. And uh, the bad guys, uh, you know, get Indiana Jones to take them there. And uh, there's, there's an old knight who's guarding uh, the Holy Grail. And they're like, well, which one is it? And he says, you have to choose. And so the bad guys choose the most ornate, the most beautiful, sparkling gold. It's, it's like rimmed with jewels. It's the most beautiful chalice in the entire room. And they drink from it. And spoiler alert, they die. (laughs) But Indiana Jones looks around the room, and he picks the humblest cup. It's this cup right here. That's actually still from the movie. Uh, It's just, it's, it's, on the inside is actually gold. But on the outside, it looks very, very humble. And it just kind of looks like, you know, some old pottery or something like that. And you know, when, when he drinks from it, he doesn't die. And the knight looks at him, and, and I love this part. He goes, you have chosen wisely. Because when the bad guys, they, they drink from the other cup, and they, they use these, like, I mean, if you look at it now, it's like these ridiculous special effects, but they age, like, really quickly, and they turn into a skeleton and, like, fade away. But he, he just, like, the, the knight doesn't even react to the fact that this guy just turned into a skeleton before their eyes, and he just goes, you have chosen poorly. Do we know how to choose wisely, though? Do any of us? You know, so so we all think that we would be Indiana Jones, not the bad guys, right? We would all choose wisely. We would all choose the humble way. We would all choose the lowly things because we would look at it and we would say, that's obviously the treasure. But I don't think that's actually the way that we are, right? We look at this world in even Christians, right? We say all the right things. And when we're at church, we're like, yeah, the kingdom of God is better. Amen. But when you go out and see what you actually do, what you actually seek, we spend most of our time, most of our energy, we think about, we obsess about, we worry about the same things everyone else worries about, which is namely, let's be honest, money, stuff, the things of this earth. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I, you know, I don't think money in and of itself is a bad thing. And, you know, later in Matthew 6, it says, your heavenly father knows you need these things. Okay, so it's not in and of itself bad, right? 
But at the same time, it cannot be your treasure. There's a difference, right? It cannot be the thing that fulfills you, right? And for many people, uh, let's be honest, money, uh, okay, so I I know money gets bad rap because we're like, oh, you know, like don't be greedy, you know? Don't don't hoard it all for yourselves. But there are many people, and and let's be honest, you know, probably people in this congregation, that when you're seeking money, and, and when we say money is your treasure, it's not because you're this overly greedy person. It's because you want security, right? We live in an uncertain world. And, and you worry about, well, what will happen if you don't have the money? I mean, you know, some of us, we're married, we have kids, we have families. You know, some of us, we have student loans, right? We have all these things that they all require money. You got to pay rent, you got to buy food, right? And it's a very real thing. You need those things, right? And on top of that, you know, we do have the promise of what a better life could, could get you. You know, there's all of these things, all of these things that we're like, man, if I just had the money, it, it would be so great. I mean, seriously, who amongst us would turn down a whole bunch of money? I mean, you've all heard the stories, right? You've all heard the stories about how, like, lottery winners, uh, that many of them, their lives get ruined after they win the lottery. There's all these stories that have been written. But if I came to, to one of you, to Val, to Connie, to <laughs> James or Jason, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to give you a um, billion dollars. Okay, it's the lottery, so after tax, we take half. $500 million. Right now, take the cash. Would you be like, no. <laughs> My treasure is in heaven. Come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. You know, many of us would be like, yeah, but Pastor Steve, you already said that money is not evil. We can use it for the kingdom of God. And you can, and you can. But brothers and sisters, you know, I, I know I've talked about this before, but um, I like watching these game shows where people win a lot of money and they win like a million dollars. And it's like their reaction. It's not like, oh, you know, um, the kingdom of God is so much greater than this, but this will serve the kingdom of God. They, they, like, like when they win the, win the million dollars or whatever, they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, ah, oh my gosh. Oh, was that too loud? I hope I didn't just deafen a bunch of people. But right, like you have this, ah, ah. This is a treasure reaction. You think that this money is going to make you happy. You think this money is going to change your life. They all say that. They're like, this is life-changing money. You think this money will make everything better. Friends, you know, take me to task. You're like, Pastor Steve, I know pastors are supposed to say this. We've heard this message before. But seriously, I mean, you know, most of you guys are at home. I, I can't even see your reaction. So this is just for you. This is just for you because most of us spend most of our lives chasing these things, chasing these so-called treasures. And this is the question. You have to ask, is it really treasure? Can you even see what treasure is? Do we even know? We think we know. Like, Pastor Steve, come on, let's be honest. You wouldn't take the $500 million? I'm I'm being honest. I probably would, too. I'm just saying. But I'm just trying to argue, friends. When you actually step back and look at what all our money has gotten us, can we really say it's treasure? My eyes are screwed up, too. I'm trying to see right. But what I'm trying to say is all of our eyes are screwed up because we still think it's treasure, right? Brene Brown, um, social researcher, she talks about how, 
And by the way, um, you know, I have to say this. We have never been richer, right? I think still America is the richest country. And we have never had more, right? I mean, just think about, like, technologically, all the stuff we have, right? Cars and the Internet. And, man, you know, like, just a couple generations ago, you know, computers would fit in, like, an entire warehouse. And all of you have a supercomputer in your pocket. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if you went back to the 1970s and you showed them this? They'd be like, dude, you are the richest person, right? That is the most incredible thing we've ever seen. And maybe the first time you got a phone, I don't know how old you were. I was like in, like in my 20s, <laughs> mid-20s. You know, some of you, you got a phone when you were 11. Some of you, like, when you were 8 years old. And, and I don't know if you can remember the feeling of having your first phone. It's not the same as having your second phone or your third phone or your fourth phone or your fifth phone. You're just like, oh, I got the upgrade. Okay. Is it giving you what you think you want? We have never been richer. And this is what Brene Brown says. She says, we are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. Just think about that. Read that again, friends. We are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. If money gave you happiness, if money really was the treasure that it's supposed to be, would this be true? Come on, let's be honest. Right? It's a hard thing to see. It's a hard thing to say that maybe all of us have bad eyes. What is it that you really want? What do you think this money is going to get you? For a lot of us, it is this security and safety, you know, and we're going to talk more about this next week when we start talking about, you know, the birds of the, the air and the flowers of the field. And, you know, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like some of these, wasn't dressed like these beautiful flowers, right? That your heavenly father will take care of you. And this is the thing. What are you ultimately putting all of your hope in? You know, we've been talking about this this whole year, this idea of a firm foundation right? That, that we want security. We want to feel safe. And it's just built into us. If you do not feel safe as a human being, you're going to seek for things that will give you security, right? So any kind of pain or any kind of danger or any kind of threat, your mind is going to focus on that way more. And the thing is that most of us live in a world that we think is just inherently dangerous, we think is inherently, inherently uncertain. Some of you lived in a world uh, a year and a few months ago where you lived in a world where toilet paper was absolutely plentiful and you never had to worry about it. <laughs> there were some people who did not live in that world. They lived in a world that where they were like, dude, at any time something could happen. There could be like a, a nuclear holocaust or whatever. I better stock up on toilet paper. Right? And we looked at those people who had the vaults you know, underground, and they had all the toilet paper, all the canned food, and we're like, you guys are crazy. Right? It's fine. We're totally safe. And then after COVID hit, the, the hoarders were like, this is our time. Right? The doomsday preppers were like, yes, <laughs> we're right, and you're wrong. And then there's other people who started hoarding toilet paper. Now, this is the thing, brothers and sisters. 
We all lived in that world for a couple months. A couple months. You remember? Every time you went to Costco, every time you went to Meyer, you're like, I need toilet paper. I need toilet paper. Toilet paper was your treasure. <laughs> Why? Why? It was the dumbest thing. Right? I mean, toilet paper is not going to make you secure. But the threat of not having it, we felt incredibly unsafe. We felt incredibly insecure. I, I know I've talked about this before, but like in every crisis, people buy up all the bread. It's the stupidest thing to buy up. Bread just, it, it like rots in a couple weeks, you know? But there's this, these instincts that we have. And, and the question is, are those instincts correct? Is the way that we're looking at the world, can we actually see the world as it is? There is a root problem and that many of us feel scared and afraid and we do want that security. What if I could give you that world? Okay, I can't give you that world. But what if God can give you that world? Isn't that what the kingdom of God is? Right? So the next passage, we're going to spend all of next week talking about the next passage. It's, it's a great passage. Oh my gosh, if you are anxious, please Read this passage, the, the, the Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and memorize it. I'm serious. Read it every night. It starts with, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Dallas Willard would say, one of the features of the kingdom of God, of knowing that you're in the kingdom of God, is no anxiety. Because the idea of the kingdom of God, it is a reality. Right? I'm going to say this, and, and uh, you might misinterpret this, or you might think that I'm saying something that I'm not. It's a psychological reality, right? because everything is the way you perceive it. If you feel like you're in an uncertain world, you're in an uncertain world. Right? Your body will react to that world in a certain way. And you're like, well, Pastor Steve, maybe it is uncertain. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it isn't. All we have is our perception of it. right? And, and to me, when you live in the kingdom of God, you have a different psychological perception. And the perception is this. God is the king of the universe, and you're safe. He controls everything. Many of us don't live in that universe. We don't live in that psychological reality. We live in a reality where at any moment, the ground floor can be taken away from you. It is not a firm foundation. It's a shaky foundation. So you better depend on something. You better depend on money, or you better depend on bread, or toilet paper, or whatever. There's a lot of people who are like, well, even our financial markets are, are shaky. What if the entire U.S. economy collapses? And what if our money is worth nothing? And so then this is what people started doing. Right? I'm not making this up. People just started buying up gold, Right? Because they're like, well, if, if, you're, if the U.S. economy collapses, then your money is worthless, but now I have gold. What is it going to stop? When is it going to end? What is going to give you ultimate security? Now, have you ever seen somebody who is living in a world where you are completely safe and secure? Right? I, I talk about this all the time, about like, like kids who like, kind of like don't know the realities of the world. and You're, you're just like sleeping in, 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 your, kid, in your, your, your family's like car. Your parents are driving. And you don't know about the other you know, uh, uh, one-ton death machines that are driving down the highway. 
right? And, and the realities of physics, and at any moment, your car can spin out of control. You not think about any of that. You feel safe. You can fall asleep. If you think you're in an uncertain world, maybe you were in a car accident last week. You're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, at any moment. It's like the one car accident you've been in your life, but now you live in a new psychological reality. And this psychological reality is at any moment, I am unsafe. At any moment, a car can crash into me. And you picture that over and over and over again. Maybe you don't even get in a car. Or at the times you're in a car, you are shaking and you're sweating. And that's all you're thinking about and you're obsessed about. Not the kid who's in the psychological reality of I'm safe. My parents are trustworthy, and I know I'm going to get to where I need to go. It's the difference between the disciples and Jesus when they're in the boat. And the boat is rocking, right? And, and the storm is raging, and the disciples are, ah, ah, because their psychological reality is, dude, we, we're going down with this boat, and we're going to die, and that's it. We're not going to see our families anymore. Oh my gosh, this world's so scary! Ah! And Jesus is in the bottom of the boat sleeping. Why? Because Jesus is in the kingdom of God. Now. He's not floating in the clouds. He's here on earth, but he's in a completely different psychological reality. Right? I talk about this all the time. You see the, the, the boldness of disciples back in the day. Right? I mean, their church is much smaller than ours. Their praise team's much less elegant and with you know, fewer instruments. And you know, they didn't have all the stuff we have. Their faith might have seemed simpler. The, the sermons maybe weren't as clever and funny. They didn't have all this stuff. And yet their faith was made out of different stuff. They were living in a different psychological reality. There are people where, you know, they're going to be martyred. Someone's like, dude, I'm going to shoot you if you don't take back your faith. If you don't say you don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to shoot you in the head. And they're like, go ahead. It's a different psychological reality. They're not afraid. What freedom, right? I mean, how many of us, we live in that? If you could live in a place where I'm not just telling you this. I'm not just saying this like, oh, I know you're going to be afraid, and I know you're not going to want this, but I want you to act like you want this. Brothers and sisters, there's a difference, right? Like maybe there's some, like, like we think that, like, like maybe, I don't know, maybe you think the disciples or certain people acted like they weren't afraid, but they really were. They're like, go ahead, do your worst. <laughs> but every indication is that there's so many people, man, they had joy, they had serenity, they had peace. Their nervous system, their eyes, their ears, their nose, everything about them believed that they lived in this different reality where God loved them and they were completely safe. How do you get there? We need different eyes, don't we? We need a different way of looking, right? And one of the things, brothers and sisters, we, we don't like this verse, but it's the reality. We are serving a very, very inferior master, this master of money, right? And what we're spending all of our time for. Now, we'll get more into this next week, but the way that the passage all sums up, the, the, the grand conclusion of it is seek first the kingdom of God and his rightness, and everything else will come unto you. Everything else will be added onto you. Everything else will be provided. It doesn't mean you don't get a job. It doesn't mean you don't make money. 
It doesn't mean those things aren't important. It's just not supremely important. It's not the priority, right? What if you could get the psychological reality of the kingdom that you are completely safe and you know who God is, you know whose you are, you know that you're precious to God, and you know that your eternity is secure. Now go make some money. It's going to look different, isn't it? The way you make that money, whether you make the money or not, right? For some people, if that's your treasure and it rises and falls, when it rises, you're like, yay! When it falls, you're like, no! But if your treasure is something else, it can rise and fall and you can be like, okay, I can see this a lot more clearly, right? I think you're going to be better in some ways at business. I think you're going to be better in some ways at functioning in life. We think that living in the kingdom means your head's going to be in the clouds and you're only thinking about, uh, you know, the eternity after we die. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was thinking very supremely about this life now. He looked at people and he saw their value. He saw them and he loved them. He wasn't like, eh, I don't care what happens to you. Maybe I'll see you in heaven. Maybe I won't, but whatever. This, all of this is going to pass. No, he wasn't a head-in-the-clouds kind of guy. He loved people supremely because he knew that this stuff did matter. And he wasn't like many of us who can't even see people anymore because all we're worried about is our own security. We're just worried about ourselves because we live in this uncertain world. I, I can't even think about you right now. I've got to think about me. But Jesus, he loved people. He was free to love people because he was in the kingdom of God, right? And so, brothers and sisters, this is where we're going. This is what we want to be, right? Just to, to you know, bring the point home, I mean, there's so many passages that talk about the value of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field, right? He sells everything. Why? Because he knows what's in the field is better. It's the kingdom. What compares to this, right? All the money in the world can't buy this. So if I just have to give up the little bit of money I have to get this, it's worth it. In his joy, he doesn't go sadly. This is the way most of us think. We think Christians are going around sad all the time. I have to sacrifice. I have to go to church. I've got to give offering, right? And that everyone else is like, (laughs) they're living it up. But are they? Are they? Is everyone else in the world who's not living for the kingdom of God, are they supremely happy? Are they satisfied because they get to keep all their money? That they don't have to tithe 10% of it, but they get to keep 100%? This is what so many people think. They're like, I can't tithe because 90% isn't going to be enough. 100% isn't enough. Because look at the world. They're living on 100%, and it's never enough. Right? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Right? It's it's the pearl of greatest price. Now, if you think I'm just cherry picking a couple parables, it's all over the place. You remember the rich young ruler, right? That that this 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 uh, uh, rich young ruler wanted to know what it would take to inherit the kingdom of the heavens. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in the heavens, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
I know, I know. Jesus doesn't ask everyone to do this. For the rich young ruler, that was his treasure. And he did have to get apart with it. You can't love God and money. There's some of us we have to choose, right? I mean, rich young ruler, do you think that if he sold everything and he followed Jesus, that he would never touch a single coin again in his life? No. It's just that his relationship with money was screwed up, and he had to fix that. He had to choose Jesus over the money because the money was his treasure. And Jesus wanted the kingdom of God to be his treasure, right? And until he fixed his eyes, he fixed seeing that this is actually treasure and this is just stuff, it's just money. Until that got fixed, the rich young ruler would always treasure the stuff that doesn't last. He always would. And in fact, he walks away very sad. (laughs) For he had great possessions. Did he have great possessions? Did he really? Or was it just stuff? Right? In in, in the whole (laughs) cosmic sense of eternity, right? When this rich young ruler died. And I mean, you know, I don't know. Of course, I don't know where he ended up. But in the great scheme of things, do you think the rich young ruler now in eternity looks back and says, man, I'm glad I kept that money? We need eyes to see, friends. What is most valuable? I mean, we live in a world where we are just so convinced that we can't take our eye off the prize. Well, Pastor Steve, if I lose my edge, then everyone else is going to get in front of me. If I spend 20 minutes a day praying, but everyone else is spending 23 hours, or, you know, 24 hours, but I'm only spending 23 hours working, but they're spending 24 hours trying to amass their fortune, you know, and and I lose out on that one hour, they're going to get ahead. Friends, what what would it be worth to have the kingdom? And in many cases, friends, It's not that you can't seek those other things. Just what are you seeking first? What is most important to you? What is the one thing you absolutely need? And I think the one thing we absolutely need is to know that God is the king of the universe and you are supremely, cosmically okay. As Dallas Willard likes to put it, that the universe is a perfectly safe place for us to live. Dallas Willard knew. I mean, he, he knew about cancer. He knew about persecution. He knew about illness, all these things. What does it mean we live in a perfectly safe place to live? Because the reality of eternity does permeate even this reality. You can live this life now for as long as we have it knowing that God has you. And if at at any moment we slip into the next life, you're going to be okay there too. Your life will go on. It does not end. That's the reality that we live in. So friends, how do we get new eyes? Well, one thing we can do is we can ask God to see it. You know, I I love this psalm, Psalm 38.4. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, that second part is so important. I hear the first part all the time. But the second part is, 
Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. The one who goes to God and flees in God and stays with God is like, God, I'm going to stay here until I taste and see. That's the seeking first, you know? There are many of us we don't even really want to see, you know? Because we think we already know. Like, yeah, yeah, Pastor Steve, okay, you you say kingdom of God's all great, but come on, come on. This is better. Brothers and sisters, all I'm saying is go and see for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Question your eyes. You think you know what treasure is, but maybe you don't. And maybe the one thing we can do, even today, as the praise team comes up, is to ask God to give us different eyes. Help us to see, right? This is one of the things, friends, one of the, 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 the things we've been touching on throughout this year is this idea of humility. And humility uh, can be summed up like this. We are not God. We don't know everything, right? And, and there are many of us who are like, we think we know what the good life is. But maybe we don't. And maybe we, 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 we lack the ability to sense what the actual good life is. And maybe we can ask God, Give me eyes to see. I want to see you clearly. I want to see treasure for treasure, and I want to see garbage for garbage. I don't want to see garbage and think, it's kind of treasure. (laughs) I want to look at this world and look at it and see, like, hey, this is good. It's just not treasure, right? And I want to look at the kingdom of God and know this is the pearl of greatest price. Can I ask the priest team to come up? I think that would be worth your time. Don't you? I think it would be worth your time to take the time to be, to experience a little bit of the kingdom here and now. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Can we do that right now? Some of us, man, we're so distracted by our phones or we're so distracted by all the things that we want to do. I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, I seriously don't know what you're doing. (laughs) This is a one-way camera. I can't see into your life right now. But can you just put down, you know, if you're multitasking or doing something else, don't you think it would be worth it to taste and see? To see for yourself what real treasure might be? Friends, it's going to take time. You know, our eyes are really bad. They, They don't become clear overnight. But we can take this step right now in humility. Say, just in the same way that I know my eyes aren't going to be fixed overnight. I maybe won't be able to see the treasure right away. But in humility, I'm going to give up this little bit of time that I've been trying to use for myself, chasing what I think are treasures. I'm going to take refuge in you, God. I'm going to be still. And know that you are God. Friends, I just want to encourage you. Maybe, you know, later this week, when everyone else is chasing these treasures that won't satisfy, maybe you can take the time to pray, to read the Bible. Take a walk. Listen to some songs about the kingdom. We sang some good ones this week. Man, maybe you can sing some of those songs, Be Thou My Vision. You can listen to that on repeat as you walk around in God's great creation. And remember, you are cared for. 
and let that reality soak in. Start to taste and see that the Lord is good. God, give me the eyes to see this treasure. Let's make that our prayer. We're going to sing this last song, and I want to encourage you to be prayerful during it. Ask God to give you the eyes to see his kingdom, his treasure, to see him in his glory clearly.